together. We have been journeying through the book of Hebrews. And in this text, we've learned several things. First, we've seen the affirmation that God became a human being as Jesus Christ, in order that ordinary things might be made sacred. The infinite became finite, so the finite could become infinite. God became what we are so that we could become what God is. We've also affirmed that Jesus was indeed our great high priest, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and courage because of who God is and what God has done for us. And as Jesus is our priest, Jesus is the representative really between God and humanity, so we are as the church to be priests to the world. For we are are their priests. We represent God in the world. We go on behalf of our sisters and brothers in the world to God, for Christ was our priest, and if we are to be Christ-like, we will be priests as well. Nearly 70 years ago, a young pastor in Germany named Ernest Keismann spent a month in jail because of his outspoken objections to the Nazi government. You see, Keisman used those days while incarcerated to begin a book on Hebrews, which was eventually published in 1984, entitled The Wandering People of God. And this book talked about our identity that is found in Christ. It talked about how God is love, And it talks about God's rule in the world. For we are saved by Christ, not by anything else. In this book, it included his conviction that neither the thousand-year right or any other government could claim God's rule in the world. For God is indeed in charge. And Kaiser's response to this awareness was not to withdraw from the world, not to say the world is falling apart, but we must engage the world with love, with hope, and at times with resistance. When we see evil around us, the Christian has a responsibility to act. Kaiser dared to suggest that we must resist the arrogant claims that, that power structures create a better world. And we must affirm that God in Christ, in humility, in sacrifice, is what makes a better world. And so those of us who are concerned with the world today, much like Heisman was nearly 70 years ago, may we still dare to listen to the book of Hebrews. For it is indeed only Christ that can save us. Our primary allegiance must be to Christ and his church. And not any other political party or affiliation. For the writer of Hebrews tells us that he, Christ, is able for all time to save those who approach God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For Christ saves those of us who approach God through him. Christ makes intercession for us. Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Christ took our place. He died a physical death so that you and I can live forever in eternity with God. I read an article a few years ago out of a magazine entitled Holiness Today that illustrates this truth just a little bit. It is about a small boy who was consistently late coming home from school. And his parents told him, you need to stop doing this. You need to be home on time. This afternoon, you must be home directly after school. But like usual, he arrived later than ever. His mother met him at the door and said nothing. At dinner that night, the little boy looked at his plate and he saw one slice of bread and a glass of water. And he looked across at his father's plate and he saw pot roast, potatoes, carrots, celery, salad. He saw all this good stuff and his father remained silent for the boy was crushed. And the father waited a few moments for the full impact of that to sink in and then quietly took the boy's plate himself and placed it in front of him and slid his own plate of meat and potatoes and vegetables in front of his son. And he smiled at his son. And in the article, it tells the story of as the boy grew older and grew to be a man. He said, all my life, I've known what God is like by what my father did that night. For on the cross, Christ took our place. Christ forgives our sins and makes us right with God. Jesus was our sacrifice. And in today's Hebrews reading, the writer is continuing this theme of Jesus being our great high priest. We talked extensively about this last week. The writer seems very focused on this emphasis, coming back to it time and time again in the book of Hebrews. And part of this is understanding his context. The writer seems to be writing to Jews who understood priesthood and sacrifices in ways that we don't typically associate with today. For the people the writer was writing to would have understood sacrifice. They understood that God is holy. They understood that God is perfect. And they understood that sin separated them from God. And so they believed that they would need to ask a priest to sacrifice an animal in order to atone for their sin. The blood of an animal could help them be forgiven, they believed. But some would abuse this calling at times. Power, authority, corrupts. You see, some would charge people for these animals. So those who could not afford these animals could not be forgiven. For these religious leaders had a religious monopoly on God and on forgiveness. Maybe that's why Jesus angrily flipped the table over and drove them out of the temple with a whip. Not simply because they were selling stuff, but maybe because they were selling forgiveness. And those who were unwelcome in the temple, who were considered untouchable and unclean, and those who didn't have the financial ability to advocate for their own forgiveness, were simply left out. They were excluded. They were marginalized. They were not welcome to receive God's fullness 
of forgiveness. And so because of the broken sacrificial system that was going on, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we no longer have to do that. For the listeners would have understood sin. They would have understood the consequences of sin. And they would have understood that a priest could atone for one sin by sacrificing something. And yet Jesus is different from other priests. Priests can only serve people while they are alive. But Jesus has been resurrected to eternal life. And so he can serve people at all times. Other priests have to offer regular sacrifices to God on behalf of their own sins and the sins of the community. Jesus' sacrifice was so great that it covers all future sacrifices as well. For we don't need to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, for Christ has offered himself for us and for our salvation. For the writer tells us, unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once and for all when he offered himself. Once and for all. The Greek word here can literally be translated once and for all. It's epifax. And for the work of God in Christ is tied to history. Once and for all, God became a human being. Once and for all, Jesus suffered an excruciating death on the cross. Once and for all, Christ has made a sacrifice for our sins. It's something that happened in a moment in space, at a moment in time. And the effects of it continue reaching towards today and tomorrow and the future. For the work of God in Christ is tied to history. When God became a human being, God left the world of ideas and stepped into the world of space and time. Once and for all, Christ moved so that we can be forgiven. And Christ transforms us, for we are restored to a right relationship with God. Jesus is our high priest. We are forgiven by his blood, by his wounds, we are healed. We have been given the gift of eternal life. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is accept. All we have to do is trust, for Jesus is indeed our great high priest. And on the cross... Jesus experienced the absence of God so that we don't have to. Jesus suffered and experienced death so that death and suffering do not have the last word over us. The writer of Hebrews seems to believe that the primary purpose of our lives should be drawing near, coming closer to God. For God restores, God reconciles, God redeems. God transforms people as they draw near to God. For we affirmed in our songs, he makes beautiful things out of the dust, out of us. And all throughout this text, we see this, that individuals' lives become better when they draw closer to God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
the time of need. We approach the throne. We approach the presence of God so that we might receive mercy and grace. The same thought is continued in Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20, when he says, We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain in the presence of God, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For we can get into the presence of God because of the work that Jesus has done in us and for us and through us. Our hope enters the inner shrine behind the curtain. Same thoughts are continued in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. He says, there is, on the other hand, the introduction of a better hope through which we approach God, through which we come into the presence of God. And finally, in Hebrews 7, 25, he continues and he says, consequently, he is able and he, Christ, is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What the writer seems to be saying is that, life, that our life is fulfilled as we draw closer to God. We are given hope, purpose, and meaning that God's presence is the ultimate goal of our lives, that we would encounter and engage God's presence here and now in the world, but also that when our time in this world is over, that we would continue to encounter God's presence as well. God's presence is the goal of our lives. And it is Christ's life, death, and resurrection that makes this access to God possible. For Christ was perfected through suffering. The writer tells us that. And a couple weeks ago, we, we thought about that because at times Christians would struggle with that statement, right? Jesus was perfected through suffering. I mean, we want to affirm that Jesus was already perfect, right? Not just through his suffering, but that he knew no sin. And so, so how, do we, how do we deal with this writing that he was perfected through suffering? We often struggle with this idea of Jesus having to have been made perfect. But part of it is the way that you and I think about perfection. We often define perfection as flawless or without a blemish. And yet perfection in this text, in this time period, would have been defined differently. Perfection here is not about sin or morals or anything else regarding his character. It is about Jesus perfectly fulfilling his role in salvation. A role which requires him to enter the full human experience, which includes death and suffering. Perfection for Jesus was completing his mission. And so, the one who is perfected through suffering is able to perfect those who look to God through once again, the one who is perfected through suffering is able to perfect those who look to God through him. For it is Christ who makes us holy. It is Christ who makes beautiful things out of the dust. It is Christ who transforms our very way of being and changes our predisposition towards sin and hurt and selfishness. It is Christ who redeems us our souls. 
Christ makes us holy. Historically, the Church of the Nazarene has heavily emphasized this notion of Christian perfection or holiness. And yet it is not something we do in our own strength. It is not something we can achieve. We can't simply try harder and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But holiness is indeed a gift from God. To be holy is to be in the presence of God. Holiness is not something we do. It is who we are. Christ was perfected through his suffering, and now we can be perfected in the presence of God. Holiness is not something we do. It is who we are. And so the one who is perfected through suffering is able to perfect those who look to God through him. For encountering the presence of God in Christ is what makes us holy. It's what makes us transformed. You see, too often the church today expects people to be completely together and without blemish before coming to the table and approaching God. And yet if it is in the presence of God that we are made holy, it seems rather silly to me to require people to act holy before they have the opportunity to be made holy. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. For it is Christ who opens the door to God for us, and it is in the presence of God that we are made holy, that we are transformed into who God desires us to be. I'm not saying we won't ever make mistakes. I'm not saying we won't have lapses in judgment, but I am saying that God's grace is bigger than our sin. God's grace is bigger than our struggles. God's grace is bigger than our pain. God is in the business of making beautiful things out of the dust. God is in the business of transforming you and me. God is powerful enough to transform us from sinner to saint. For Christ opens the door to us. One of the ways that the door is open to us through Christ is through baptism. Some of us were baptized when we were babies. Before we even knew what was happening. Yet in that one sacred act, even though we didn't have the capacity to acknowledge it, God welcomed us into God's. We were initiated into the church. How beautiful is that? That God calls us God's children, God's sons and daughters, before we even have the mental capacity to accept it. That's what's up. But doesn't God even do that to us at all times? Before we have the ability to accept and acknowledge what Christ has done, God is reaching out to us, calling us God's own. And our baptism is one of the ways that Christ opens the door for us. When we are baptized, we are named God's own forever. We are initiated into the Christian community. We are known as God's own. Another way that Christ opens the door to us is through the Eucharist. 
through the table of communion. When we ingest the presence of Christ into our bodies, we are nourishing and nurturing our souls. For Christ has opened the door to God's presence for us. Another way that Christ has done that is through anointing with oil. Each Sunday, on the fourth Sunday of the month, we have a time of prayer and anointing with oil following the sermon. And it's an opportunity for us to recognize and affirm that God's presence sustains us. And as we are anointed, it is God's presence that saturates our whole body and mind. We are made new. We are healed. We are transformed. Christ has opened the door into God's presence for us. And we are forgiven. We are reconciled. We are transformed. And we are healed. We are made holy. We do not become holy in our own strength. It is God alone who makes us holy. We cannot do it ourselves. We need the presence of God. We need the love of God made real in Jesus the Christ to nourish our souls. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need the power and presence of God to transform us, to indeed make beautiful things out of us. So what all is the writer of Hebrews trying really to get at? Trying to say a couple things. Trying to say it is first and foremost Christ that is our priest. Christ's sacrifice is what forgives us of our sins. It is through the acknowledgement of that that we are brought into God's divine presence. And when we encounter the presence of the divine, we are never we can be transformed into the image of Christ. We can be made whole. Not in our own strength, not because of what we can do, but first and foremost, because of what Christ has done. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to sing again beautiful things. And as we sing this song, let this be your prayer. Let it be your testimony that it is God indeed who does this work. It's not us. It's God. Join me as we lift these words to our Creator, to our Savior, and to our Redeemer, affirming that God is in the business making beautiful things out of the dust, out of us.